We are now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're down to verse 12. In the previous verse, Paul tells them to encourage and comfort one another, for the fact is that the dead in Christ and the living will meet in the air and be joined to the Lord. They were worried about what would happen to those who had previously died in the Lord. And he says, and you do this and build each other up. The ministries and gifts are for this, edifying, building up until people are mature Christians. We'll briefly, we'll go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. For he himself, the Lord, gave some people to be apostles and some prophets some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So it's the ministry, it's the person that he's given them here. And they are the foundation ministries of the church to most authority. Every one of them deals with the word of God. And what is the purpose he gives them? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He's talking about Christians, not saints, not people who are dead Christians, okay? It's to make them available and ready for the work of ministry, for whatever they're called to do and whatever services the Lord requires of them. And the main purpose is for the edifying of the body of Christ, edifying to build up, to encourage. It doesn't mean adding, just adding people to the church. That's a job sometime of the evangelist. No, it means that it builds them up in their particular ministries that they can be useful to the Lord. And how often and how long will it happen? Well, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or mature. That will be until the Lord returns. So these processes, these ministries, the gift ministries and persons and particular ministries of the Christians are to be ongoing until the Lord returns because there will always be some coming in to the body of Christ. There will always be those who are regenerated. There will always be the backslider who comes back to the Lord. There will always be these, and they are at various stages. They must be instructed and equipped to understand their place in Christ until, like he says, to become a mature man. The word perfect is not here. To the measure of the statue or the fullness of Christ. So Christ himself said, it's enough if the disciple becomes as his master. He's not talking about perfection as far as human standard. All Christians, after a while, should be mature. It means that they're able to discern between good and evil. They can be led of the Spirit and understand what he requires of them. Doesn't mean that they stop learning. Doesn't mean that they don't need anything else. It means they're in a certain state. They're capable of helping others, and they're out of the baby stage. The baby Christian is still caught up in the natural world. We're not talking about gross sins. Sometimes the word carnal, it does not always designate evil. In many cases, it does. The carnal mind leads to death. 
But the carnal mind also cannot understand spiritual things because it's not spiritual. So those who come to the Lord as babes, they still think like the world or the natural man. And in itself, it's not evil. It simply has nothing spiritual about it. So Paul reproved the Corinthians for having favorite teachers and favorite. See, they were thinking like earthly people. They should be thinking more spiritually, and he reproved them for this. So they should be past people's looks and personalities and what they like and don't like. This is all of the natural realm, and a lot of it's the lust of this world, which the Lord said will not pass into the next. So a spiritual person is not confined to the carnal. The carnal means earthly and natural. And the other bad state is it means gross sinners. The be carnal mind, it will eventually lead to death. So a baby Christian, and many people teach false doctrine, a baby Christian is not a carnal as far as wickedness. He's carnal as far as knowledge and maturity. But even a baby Christian, if he lives in the sins that Paul talks about and practices them, he says they'll not make it to heaven. They're not going to be excused. A baby Christian cannot live in gross sin. It means he did not repent properly, which means to turn your back on, and he's not following the Lord. So many times people take one word and label everything. No, so carnality has two or three meanings. And as we read the scripture, we can figure out which one's being used. He doesn't always clarify. You read the context of the scripture, and as you are mature in the Lord, and mature and rightly handling God's word, you get it. You understand what he's talking about. So when he called the Corinthians carnal in one sense, he said, you walk as men. It means you're thinking. You're not spiritual. You're tied up still into the uh, natural way of thinking. He didn't particularly mean they were gross sinners. If they were gross sinners, they would not be carnal Christians. Carnal Christians are not saved, according to Scripture not in the sense of their gross sinning. So we need to make an extinction. And that's why the word sometimes should be altered for us in our language. So the carnal mind that is gross sinning, that person is not going to stay in Christ. Paul said he will not inherit the kingdom. If you will not inherit the kingdom in this present life today, it means you're not a Christian because only Christians will inherit the kingdom. So the purpose of all the ministries, and mainly the five-fold ministries, because they're all based on teaching. We have many people who want to preach and evangelize, and their ministry is false because it's not built on the sound word of God. It's built on teaching, uh, tickling people's ears and making them feel good. That's not preaching. And preaching is not just giving the salvation message every week you don't understand the scripture. That's why people never go on. That's why people fall away because they're not given sound doctrine, okay? Sound teaching is what it means. When I hear people say, well, doctrine's not important. Well, if you mean denominational doctrine, you might be right. But doctrine simply means instruction. And if you don't receive it right, you'll not make it into the kingdom and if you don't stay in it, you will not make it into the kingdom. You will forfeit the grace of God. You will be cut off 
as a branch that bears no fruit. And Jesus said, my father will do it. Okay, so he makes it plain. So we need the ministries until all Christians are mature. Well, that's not going to happen until the Lord returns. So we see that it's ongoing and it always needs to be done to some degree. Okay, now we go into verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction. The main job of teaching is instruction. See, some people are gifted different ways, but all teaching will instruct, and it's systematic, and sometimes it's uh, hard to listen to. Why, when Paul was doing it, a young man fell off the rafters and killed himself. He fell asleep. It wasn't stirring him up. But some teaching, if exhortation is involved or if prophecy is involved, it moves them differently. But everybody can study the Scripture. They don't need a word from the Lord to study the Scripture. It says study that you'll be approved, you'll rightly handle. So you go through the precepts and what you understand. Uh, You get it into your mind where the Holy Spirit can use it later as you're maturing. So that's why people try to remember verses and scripture and various important things. For as they mature in the Lord, it will come back. And the Holy Spirit, as Jesus told his apostles, when the Spirit comes, he will teach you all things that I've told you. He's going to emphasize and give you particular instruction that I cannot give you because I'm not in you. Remember, he told them, there's many things I want to say that are hard to say that you're not able to bear now. So it's better when the apostles came. People seem to think, oh, it's only Jesus' word. Jesus' words will not avail nothing without the apostolic teaching. He said, I'm with you and I shall be in you. So he enters those with these ministerial gifts and it's Christ ministering with their unity and consent. So he said it will be better. So when people seem to think it won't, it's because they are unspiritual and don't understand anything. He said, when I go, I'll send the spirit and he will guide you into all truth. Why the disciples still didn't fully understand Christ until he resurrected. They still had a problem understanding him as being God, the incarnate. They understood him as the Messiah and prophet to some degree. And then at the last time, they said, well, before you go, show us the Father. He said, how long have I been with you? And you don't know me. I am the perfect representative and it's the Father in me that does the works. And the work. So he's saying, I'm one with him. They were thinking of something like Moses, the fire on the mountain and the powers. And he was saying, that ain't how I want to reveal myself. Yeah. He did that because uh, the scripture says that Moses knew God's ways. See, he was intimate with God in the, as best he could be. But he still didn't have the spirit of Christ in him like a Christian does. But he said the children saw his acts, and that's why they were often judged. Moses conformed and knew God. They basically went back and forth, up and down, and he dealt with them accordingly. 
because they did not really know him the way they were supposed to because they didn't listen well. And later on, the Lord tells us they were always, Stephen says, they were always a rebellious people and a stubborn, uh, willful people. Okay, so now we get back to the scripture. He asked the brethren to be thankful or appreciate and honor those who seriously labor among you. That is labor in God's word and prayer for you. It's mainly talking about the teachers. Uh, back then, it wasn't uh, one person teaching. It wasn't one pastor. Each fellowship, uh, if they were mature Christians, could have several teachers and elders and they could pastor at the same time. Some of them, that was their main job. The translation better was they were bishops, the overseers, but all mature Christians were able to teach one another. Doesn't mean they had public ministry, but they were able to expound on the word and explain it to the babes and novices in Christ. Okay, So he wants you to be thankful for that. Those who have charge... See, they have responsibility. The leaders, the overseers, the elders that are in Christ is what he's talking about. He's not talking about busybodies and the affairs of other people or other Christians, which is none of your concern. The scripture warns about that. It's our concern to edify and correct error, not tell people how to run their household and what their affairs are. That's being a busybody, okay? And he said, we're not to be like that. So these people that I'm telling you about, uh, they give you instructions in God's word and will. See, they're supposed to be, and they better be, mature. They better know how to rightly handle God's word. If not, they have no business being teachers. And so in the day's world, most of the denominations are false and backslidden anyway. They appoint people who are popular, or they appoint young people to keep them in the church. All of this is foolishness. It has nothing to do with spirituality. It has nothing to do with God's kingdom. They give you instructions. We just said the, the fivefold ministry, apostles and prophets. The Bible said they're first and second in authority. Third was the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then all other types of ministries come under and were subordinate. We're not to take priority to these things because these were teachers, all of them, and they had to know the Word of God and how to rightly handle it and how to be led of the Lord for particular groups and churches and fellowships that could deal with the proper problems and all of that, okay? And so they were the ones he was talking about. They're the foundation of Christian ministries. All elders and deacons and mature Christians should be able to expound and teach God's word at least one-on-one. Doesn't mean they're all called for the public office. So if you're a mature Christian, you better know the word of God, basically. You knew the basic Christian doctrines and practical things that God expects and not a lot of foolishness, and so forth. So they're there to teach you and to rule or give instruction for the fellowship because you have babies and young Christians, and they still think as the world, and they're not matured enough to discern between good and evil, so they're easy led into the works of the flesh, and the devil can take advantage if they're not guided. 
and they are to be guided, okay, until they come into maturity. And so the Bible also said, he said, the, these ministers, teachers, uh, whatever other offices they hold, they are worthy of double honor. Now, it is their ministries, not the person, and we're not to be a respecter of persons, but an apostle has far more authority and standing with God than a person that's just come to the Lord. They're both uh, children of the Lord, but they're not equal when it comes to ministry. And people need to understand that. Even Peter, when they were having problems, church problems, distributing wealth to certain areas and people, uh, they got a lot of complaints and they wanted the apostles to handle it. Well, the apostles appointed some deacons and prayed over them. And what did Peter say? And misguided people are so foolish. They said, oh, Peter was being arrogant and proud because he wasn't humble like the rest. No, he was very plain. He said, it's not right that we, and he meant the apostles and prophets, leave the word of God to minister to tables. He says, there's a place to minister, and, and people are called for that. And that's deacon's work. But overall, it's not an apostle's work. His work was to labor in the word and preach the word and take care of the other foundations. So he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't going to be sidestrapped. And now the day in our false system, all the pastors are supposed to minister everybody, visit everybody in the hospital. They're supposed to do everything because it's a false system and it's not based on God's word. It's not based on one person doing everything, see? And that's because they're not sound, most of them are not Christian, and they don't know how to understand uh, the various workings of the body of Christ, okay? And so we see what happens when it isn't done properly. So we're not respecting a person when we double honor uh, the person that's teaching and in authority. And he answers and comes into more accountability before the Lord and man. That's God's way. Go back to James. And I think he's very interesting because he rebukes those who think faith without works is sound. He questioned whether they had true Christianity. He was saying, no, he didn't teach faith alone like heretics. He said, if you got the faith, the proof will be in your spiritual works, your fruit, and your obedience. And if you don't have those, then you got lip service. You don't have the real faith in Christ. And he's talking about Christianity. You don't have real Christianity. And so immediately after he reproves them for that, calls them foolish to think so, then he goes, and the word he says is, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. He makes it very plain. And the next verse, which is another chapter, but like we said, the verses and chapters are not scriptural, okay? My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, okay? Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So he's saying, if you move into public teaching, and you're accountable for more, you're going to answer for more. So you better be sure that God approves you doing this. Now, for deacons and elders, as they become a mature Christian, they can choose to do that. But still, God has to approve it. And the main ministries of teaching and evangelism are gifts from God 
they're not particularly man's chosen, but they have to measure up at various areas or they were not to be recognized by the body of Christ. They could not be put in that office. So he states, many of you have no business being public teachers. Why? He just stated, because you're foolish and ignorant of God's word. You don't even know what a real Christian is, he was telling them. You're saying you can believe, and yet you see your brother starving and, and having conflict, and you say, oh, the Lord bless you, and yet you don't do nothing for him. He said, you're a hypocrite. He said, can this kind of faith, can this kind of Christianity, man, can it save you? No, he's implying, no, it can't. See? And that's what a lot of this garbage out there on prosperity teaching and money, I mean, they want to, everybody, but we want to get wealthy. We are a king's kid. You're a child of the devil if you're materialistic and covetous, and there's no other word for it, okay? So he was saying only those who are grounded and rightly dividing God's word are capable of being put in a position to be a teacher. And that's what James was saying. Don't take this upon yourself. Be careful. You better pray about it and understand if the church recognizes you and God does, now you come under a different system. You're not going to get away with certain things that God may wink at in a baby Christian. Now, baby Christians try to teach and do things, and it's not spiritual, and they shouldn't be put in that position. And even Jesus said, those kind of people, he said that it means they're not gross sinners, that they're ignorant. And they proceed to try to teach God's word, and they teach some wrong things. And Jesus said, those who do that will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. It implies they'll make it. They're baby Christians. They're not living in gross sin, but they don't have a right understanding how to present the word of God. He's not talking about heretics. They're not going to even make it into the kingdom. So that was what he was talking about. And that's what Paul was talking about, the works being examined. And whatever could not stand a fire will be lost. But he said, but they will be saved as of by fire. They live a God in life. They try to follow the Lord, but they're babies and they're ignorant of spiritual things. And they go about trying to do things. But whatever is not spiritual is of the natural or flesh, and it cannot profit anything. And that's why Paul said, don't put a novice in a place of authority. He would get puffed up and arrogant and think he's something because he hasn't dealt with these things. He hasn't understood responsibility that God didn't put him there for his own glory. He didn't put him there to be seen and be popular. But, I mean, that's the way it is in the natural denominations, but most of them aren't follow the Lord. So it doesn't apply to them, many of these things. Okay. So he said the teaching and spirituality, if they didn't have the fruits and obedience, then he said they shouldn't be in it. He questioned their Christianity. Mental assent teaching avails nothing. Okay. These people that send these novices and they out to witness, they don't know nothing. Or they think, oh, well, they only need three scriptures. You're a heretic. You're a false minister. That's not true, okay? You have to teach them the whole word of God, the foundation. 
You don't go out and send babes to do spiritual warfare with people who are under the devil's control. Foolishness and foolish ministers, okay? And it's those kind, like I say, that Paul's saying, will this Christianity save you? His answer was rhetorical, no, it will not. And that's why many will say, Lord, Lord, but they'll be denied by Christ, and he'll call them lawless, and he'll consign them to hell. That's the majority of those who are saying, Lord, Lord. See, they meant to believe who he is. They believe he died on the cross. They believe he's Lord. But they're lawless. They're not following him. They're not being led of the Spirit. They're living self-absorbed lives and mixing a little Christianity with it, and they think it's going to get them to heaven, but it's not going to, okay? And back to the teachers, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and teaching. That's what doctrine is. So there were elders that administrated and saw to other things and were in charge over other people's ministries to help them sort things out. But he said, especially, notice these, those who teach the word of God. The emphasis was put on those elders, okay? That they're worthy of double honor. Now, verse 19 and 20 says, this is where the churches today which proves most of them are false and misguided. He said, do not receive, 19, an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So the authority and the honor is be careful if you believe they're wrong or sinning or something. If you're going to bring it up, be sure you have another witness. It takes more than that of one person's opinion. He says, so if you're going to bring an accusation, You better have someone else, some facts to present before the leadership of the church. And he said, by two or three witnesses. So he doesn't talk about that with a normal Christian. A person's not mature in the Lord. Baby Christians can be reproved and corrected by any mature Christian and try to be instructed. They don't have to be dealt with in a stronger manner. Now look at verse 20. You don't see this done because the churches as a whole are not his, and the ones that are, they're cowards in there, okay? They're more afraid of people's opinion. Those who are sinning, those who are still in this thing, or whatever they've fallen into, some teachers and and elders like that got caught up. They fell into affairs. They were doing something that the Bible considered gross, and God wanted it dealt with. He says, so that means they're in the present tense, okay? Rebuke in the presence of everybody. So teachers like that, they weren't like a baby Christian. They should be called up front in front of the whole assembly and told what they did wrong and rebuked. God had a twofold meaning reason for this, okay? He said that the rest may also fear. He wanted to embarrass them. He wanted to bring down their pride and say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And if they're a real Christian elder, they'll repent and apologize and straighten up. And if they're not, they'll be put out of the church because they've continued in their wickedness. And they're supposed to be a teacher. 
So they didn't worry about their little feelings, hurting someone, especially when they were a teacher, more was required of them. And so they should have thought that out before they entered into these things, okay? So that shows you what he thinks about this. So don't accuse lightly those teaching elders of sin, and he's talking about gross sin, and not other things, infractions, and imperfection, except with true witnesses, okay? Rebuke openly. That's to humble their pride, and that's to expose them, that other teachers will say, oh my, I've got to be careful. I don't want this happening to me. That's what it produces. Now, when Ananias and Sophia lied before Peter, he said, you haven't lied to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and God struck the husband dead, and then later, an hour or so, he struck the wife dead, asking her the same question. He said, you lied to God. They wanted to impress people. And you know, the results of that was, the scripture said, fear came upon the church. Well, why did it come upon the church? Because all of a sudden, they see God doesn't put up with certain things. And I and Sophia were believers, and they were baptized. But they got caught up and pride. They saw that Barnabas gave all of his wealth away, they say, and the church admired this. Well, they wanted to be admired, see, because they had pride. So they told the people they gave everything, but they kept half of it. See, they were liars and hypocrites. They could have given half, and it would have been wonderful, but they wanted the praise and honor, and that's why God dealt with them. And it said, fear came on the church. It means if any of you are thinking of doing this, God might do the same thing to you. So that's what he expected, okay? So God taught them how to fear the Lord. Paul said, we must continue in the faith, for through much tribulation we enter the kingdom. He said, we must continue in the grace of God. He said, we must continue with the Lord. We must continue in the fear of the Lord. So if you don't have those, you're not going to stay with the Lord, and he's not going to stay with you. Each one, he said, continue. It's not the starters of the race that are going to make it. It's the finishers, okay? And that's our probation and our pilgrimage in this world. Final salvation is not guaranteed unless you stay with Christ and endure and overcome. You have eternal life as Christ is in you. But if you don't stay with him till the end, he'll be leaving you because the Father will cut you off from him. And that's saying grace of God has been given to you in vain. And Paul warned that. He said, don't let the grace of God be given to you in vain. It means empty, not causing any good, okay? So if they did not deal with these things, the church had no problem. The assemblies in Paul's time had no problem throwing them out break in fellowship with them. And until they repented, they were not received back into the fellowship, okay? They did not put up with gross sinning in their assemblies like they do today. They welcome everybody to churches today. Oh, the church is made for sinners. No, it's not. You stay a sinner, you're supposed to be thrown out. He's talking about gross sin. He's not talking about perfection, okay? He don't want liars and perverts and adulterers and child molesters and homosexuals practicing these things. Paul said, you are washed, 
You are sanctified. You were once that, but you're not anymore. He's using the past tense. So those practicing that, they're not to be received into a real Christian fellowship, okay? Like we said, any kind of sexual impurity relationship outside of the marriage with another person or animal or anything is impurity and uncleanness, and it will get you into hell. doesn't matter what deviation or what branch it goes off on, okay? So again, Christians do and have fallen at times, and the scripture doesn't say uh, when you fall, but it says if you sin. See, it doesn't have the assumption you have to do it, like a false teachers teach. Oh, we have to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. Well, you're a child of the devil. John said, if you don't live righteously and work righteously, he says you're a child of the devil. He don't get into theology. He tells you the practical side, okay? So also now, those who fall into sin, repent and confess and go on. Take the punishment that maybe the world will give you, and you have to take the punishment that the body of Christ. So some teachers and elders were not allowed to teach for a while, even after they repented. They would test it and may have gone months before they were put back in that position. It wasn't frivolously and quickly that they did these things. They wanted to make sure, and they wanted to teach others what's going to happen to them if they do the same thing, okay? But First Timothy chapter 5 Verse 22, right after he says, rebuke them before everybody, before the whole assembly, and then down a few verses, do not lay hands on anyone quickly, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. The laying on hands was the church recognizing the deacons and elders and their ministries and praying for them. This is what Paul did to Timothy and the spirit of prophecy came upon him. And he was shown uh, what ministries he would have. Eventually, Timothy basically was an apostle. Some believe he ruled and led over the church of Ephesus. Titus was similar, okay? But he said, don't do it quickly. Just because someone's flamboyant and they're a good orientator and they got good personality, you don't make them a teacher like they do today or a minister. Well, see, that's what they want today. Uh-huh. He said, don't lay hands quick. Do not appoint them or recognize their office quickly. Why? Because they're to be examined. They will not know what they teach and what they know before you put them in a position over other people, okay? So you give them, by the laying on of hands publicly, you're giving them a charge and a duty, a position. You're saying, you deacons and elders that uh, want to be teachers, okay, we've examined you and we'll find a place for you. That's what it means. But it told you what the deacons and el- what was required of them and how they were to live before they were to be considered for that position, okay? So what? They were to be proven, examined, make sure they're living right grounded in the Word, able to rightly handle the Word of God. Otherwise, people need to look at the otherwise. On the other hand, you will share in their sins and their misuse of the charge. So he's saying to these elders, 
if you appoint someone and they don't measure up, you're going to share in their faults and sins. God's going to hold you accountable because you didn't do your job. See, puts the fear into them. Like, we better be careful whom we appoint. Okay? That's similar with 2 John 9 and 11. Whosoever transgresses or falls against and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So those who joined the church, some of them didn't last long. Some of them didn't believe. They just liked the fellowship and the friendliness. They didn't care about doctrine. Oh, they were professors only. The teaching of Christ, he does not have God. He who abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The main teaching he was talking about, that Christ was the incarnation. He is God. He took on human form. He's one with the Father. He's not just a man. Some groups call themselves Christians, but they don't recognize Jesus as God. He's an angel, or he's a good teacher. Well, we're not to tolerate that. What does he say? Well, first of all, he says, if he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. But you can think you can abide in the Father without the Son. You don't have the Father. But it's interesting if you have the Son. Because he said, I and the Father are one. People forget he is the everlasting Father. He is the Almighty God since he's been glorified. When he was on earth, those weren't emphasized and he could not use certain things. He had to trust completely on the Father and the Holy Spirit. But the glory was returned to him. And that's why he said to his apostles, I'm with you bodily, but I shall be in you. He returned as Christ, the Godhead. He could only enter them as God. He couldn't enter them no other way. Okay, let's take a break here. <laughs> 